Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bellow. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Let's see the Living Bible if you have. I think we read that translation. It was last Sunday, uh, upper Sunday. Let's see the Living Bible if you have it. James chapter 1 and verse 21. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Do you have it? James chapter 1 and verse 21. I just want to read that as an intro and a recap from the last conversation. Okay, it says, So get rid of all that is wrong in your life, both inside and outside, and humbly be glad for the wonderful message we have received, for it is able to save our souls. Somebody say, wonderful message we have received. Okay, and it is able to save our souls as it takes hold of our hearts. So what the gospel does is it takes hold of your heart. If the gospel hasn't gotten to your heart yet, it's not yet a revelation. It's only head knowledge. And one of the easiest ways you know whether the gospel is head knowledge for some people or heart revelation is when you see the life. Okay, so if you don't see the lifestyle, it means it's still in the head or probably not even in the head. It hasn't even come to the heart yet. So the Bible is very critical about we having this message of the gospel penetrating our hearts that it takes a hold of our hearts. The Bible also says that by their fruit, you shall know them. By their fruit, you shall know them. There's a difference between by their fruit, you shall know them and God knows those who are his. God knows those who are his whether they bear fruit or not. But you can't know those who are his except you see fruit. So, because we don't see heart, we only see the outward appearance. And God is very detailed that he doesn't just look at the outward of people, but he looks inward. And that's why you can see um, one of the things that God has given us, the gifts of the spirit is discernment of spirit, that you are able to tell spirits, you're able to tell intentions or motives without full knowledge or without a disclosure of the intent of the heart. So if you have the working of discernment of the spirit in you, you can look at someone and tell what spirit is in operation, if it's positive or if it's negative. Are you still here, someone? Okay, so, but God doesn't need your fruit to know that you are his. So, between the time that you, you bear fruit, no, between the time that you receive Christ up, on the, up until the time where you start to bear fruit, he already acknowledges that you are his. But other people cannot tell that you are his. So he needs to see, we need to have fruit in our life for our brothers and our sisters. Somebody say amen. amen. Now when the gospel gets a hold of your heart, it penetrates your life to the degree that it comes out as a fruit. So you are not just professing that I'm a Christian or I'm a believer. It's more than the profession of I'm a Christian or I'm a believer or I go to church. You can see it in the life, in the lifestyle of the person. There is no conflict between your profession and your life. At that point, you can now say that the gospel has become a revelation. Are you still here? So, um, we talked about um, honoring God with your life when I began with the series on the fruit of the gospel. But the second one, I want to talk about this today's conversation or today's teaching I want, to talk, I want to talk about giving under the New Testament. Because giving is one of the fruits of the gospel. And I will show you in scripture how that hearing the gospel over time makes you an embodiment of a giving heart, a willing heart, a willing spirit. When you hear the gospel over time. I will journey you through um, the Old Testament very quickly and then we'll jump into the New Testament, all right? So let's even begin before the Old Testament because the Old Testament doesn't begin with Genesis, I hope you know. 
Genesis is called the book of the beginnings. But the Old Testament begins from Exodus, where the people were given the law. Testament means will. Um, will is a function of someone's um, declaration of his intent that has to be ratified by blood. So will or covenant or testament in the old was ratified by the old um, by the blood of bulls and goats. That's how God um, validated the Old Testament. So the New Testament, of course, we all know in this house, is validated by the blood of Jesus. So before the Old Testament, there was Abraham who gave. You know, how many of you watched the the recent post on what? Dr. Creflo Dollar said when he talked about tithing and did you watch it? I was particularly happy for that because it has drawn the attention of people to hear Jesus by force. I'm so happy for that because we need to have this conversation, you know. Um, There is a difference between when you give in the Old Testament and when you give in the New Testament. So we're we're going to talk about a few things today. Um, So Beginning from Abraham, Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. Let's quickly see that. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the most high God. Next verse. And he blessed him. Who blessed who? Because if you look at the story carefully, Melchizedek is higher than Abraham. Melchizedek was a king. And he was also a priest. He was symbolic of the New Testament priesthood that Jesus Christ was going to come in the order of. Um, just to talk about priesthood before we read down, uh, to give you a brief, uh, a quick understanding. The Levitical priesthood, which is called the Levites, the Levitical order from Aaron, all of those priests under the Old Testament were called Levites. They had to fulfill certain duties and rights in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it was intentional that Jesus Christ was not born from the family of Levi. Are you still here? So Jesus was born intentionally from the family of Judah. Now, there are 12 tribes of Israel. There is, okay, not to bore you with all of that, but there is Levi and then there is Judah. Levi is the one through whom all the Levites, all the Old Testament priests came from. But Judah is the priest. I mean, Judah is that tribe through which Jesus comes through. That's why it says he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, why didn't God ensure that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah? Because he wants to always contrast the Old Testament. The New Testament always has to contrast the Old Testament. So Jesus comes from Judah, but he becomes our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which means that there is no record in the scripture where Melchizedek has a birth date and a death date. There is no record in the scripture. Some people say he was an actual human being, but nobody has a record of Melchizedek's birth or his death, nobody. So, seeing that no one knows his origin or his extinction, um, the Bible now says that Jesus, who is a high priest that lives forever, is in the order of that Melchizedek. Because Jesus doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. So that's why he comes in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is higher than Abraham. It says, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said. So, when you say bless you, bless you does not mean bless you by bless you. Bless you means bless you when something is said after you say bless you. It feels like I'm talking to only this. Only the, are you guys still here? Okay. So, when you say God blessed them in the beginning. It doesn't just say God blessed them and keeps quiet. It says God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So that be fruitful and multiply is the blessing. So he says, and he blessed Abraham and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. 
at the point where he blessed Abraham here, Abraham was just, who has watched the series Vikings? Before? You've seen that series, Vikings. Now, you see all those guys going to raid cities and that's how some of them did, especially in the Mediterranean culture back in the days. Many of them would raid lands, raid um, countries or whatever and gain possessions forcefully. Now, Abraham was somehow just one of those merchants, those guys who would, you know, he has the stronger your men, the stronger your followers or your soldiers, the more powerful you are, the more you become a nation. So at that point, that's who Abraham was up until he met Melchizedek. So he says, possessor of heaven and earth. You're telling someone who is just a roadside man that you become a possessor of the heaven and the earth. That's a blessing indeed. That indeed is a blessing. Let's keep going. Next verse. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he now, and Abraham gave him a tithe of all. The point that I want to make here is that Abraham didn't give him a tithe so that he can receive a blessing. He was first of all blessed and it was out of the blessing that Abraham now gave a tithe. So when you hear the conversation, I'll come to the law because the law says that the law says that for you to be blessed, you must bring in all the tithes and all the offerings. If not, you're going to be cursed. But if you do that, I would open up the windows of heaven for you. And no, 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 you're not under the law again. Are, are you following what I'm saying? So whether you tithe, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but let me just say this. Whether you tithe, whether you give, whether you sow or not, you are already blessed. Help me now. Open the windows of heaven and then I will pour out a blessing on you when you tithe. So therefore you connect your tithing to the fact that a window of heaven is going to be opened up for you. No, not in this era anymore. Because you are not under the law. Now, but the point I'm trying to make here is that Abraham gave a tithe before the law. So he, he gave tithe from inspiration from inspiration it was an inspiration um, and it was from a spoil not necessarily from his not necessarily from his earnings but it was from his spoil but another question begs that regardless of whether it's from spoil or it's from your earnings the most important thing is that you recognize who gave you so it's that it was, whether it's from spoil or from your earnings, it was God who gave it to you. That's why the Bible also says that you must remember the Lord your God for it's him who gives you power to make wealth. So this is before the law. Um, I'm just looking at the time. yeah. But Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. Let's go to the law. Malachi chapter 3. There are many scriptures in the Old Testament. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, where the Bible talks about bringing the tithe and these things you must do compulsorily. In those days, the tithes were given to the priests and to the widows. That was the order. The Levites, the priests, the widows, the tithes were given. If you were going to monetize the tithes, because the tithes were given in the form of flock, in the form of grains, in the form of um, your land produce, whatever it is. So it is those things that you brought to the house of God or to the temple in those days and they were for the priests, the Levites, and the widows. But today now, we don't have priests anymore because you and I have become priests. Help me now. Okay, so you cannot be tithing under the Old Testament order. I'll show you something. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? You know, they, we use this, not, let me not say they, as if I want to take myself out of it, because I'm a pastor. We use the scripture to, even though I didn't. But we use the scripture as pastors to torment members. And to torment people and to put the body of Christ in bondage. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. 
Look at your neighbor and say, will you rob God? So, now, you, do you see, if you are not well taught, can you imagine the emotion I can generate from this thing I just asked you to do now? And, and you know, those, some of those law preachers are not like me who smile because smiling is carnal. How can you be preaching and smiling at the same time? You want to hamper the spirit? You have to allow the spirit flow. You know, some of you feel that, uh, you know, when the Holy Spirit is moving, if there are no tears, it means the power has not yet come. But when the power comes and you see, you start to cry, that's when you know, hey, I, I've gotten there, I've gotten there. Where are you getting? Come on, man. I told you before, I said, you are not coming into his presence. You are coming into Nikon Luxury. You are taking his presence with you into Nikon Luxury. So we are coming to worship and to fellowship together because you have the spirit. The moment you left your, the moment you left this building, you didn't leave a part of the anointing. To only to come back next Sunday to say, hey, where are you? Where did I sit? This is the place where it was hot last week Sunday. I have to be there. Uh -uh. You carry the presence of God. Jesus dies and what happens? The veil is torn from top to bottom. Which means that everybody now has access into the holy of holies. Which means that those priests lost their jobs. Yes, no more job description for those Old Testament priests again. Right? All that glory that was as smoke that was going to heaven that used to captivate the people and bring fear. It says, now I've moved from temple into the heart. That's where, so God lives here now. No wonder the Bible says, know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So back to the law. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have I robbed you? Then God now answers, in tithes and offerings. Do I sound like Thanos now? Let me try again. In tithes and offerings, I'll do it myself. Next verse. <laughs> he said, you are cursed. Mm -hmm. This is where the problem is now. He says, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me. So this is fear instilled on the body of Christ. That if you don't pay your tithe, if you don't give your offering, you are robbing God. Even this whole nation. Next verse, verse, verse 10. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be what? Food. In my house. And try me now this. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you. The windows of heaven. And pour out for you. Such blessing that there will not be room. Enough to receive it. Now you see there is a change in order here. He's saying that if you give tithe. Then it means that I will bless you. But if you, if you look at it even before the law. That was not the case in the law. That was not in the case of Abraham and Jacob. I don't even have the time to show you about Jacob. Because it was when God revealed himself and there were angels going through the ladder from heaven to the earth. God blessed Abraham and says, wherever you go, I'll be, I mean Jacob. says, wherever you go, I will go with you. Jacob named the place of that place Bethel. And he also vowed that a tenth of what God said he would give him, he would give back to the Lord. So the blessing preceded the response. But in the law here now, he's saying that when you give, then I will bless you. Something went wrong between the time of Abraham and the time the law was instituted. Even in the relationship between God and people. Back in the days, Abraham related with God on the basis of grace. But the children of Israel related with God on the basis of the law. So it is your performance that, this, that determines God's response to you. But today in the New Testament, you are not under, please listen to me. The tithe, when you use the word tithe, it means one-tenth. 
I'm not talking about tithe today. I'm talking about giving. Okay, so don't let your mind be narrowed to tithing only. I'm talking about giving in the New Testament. But just talk about tithe. When you say the word tithe, you are indirectly saying one-tenth of what you have. Because tithe means one-tenth. If it is not one-tenth, if it is 20%, if it is 30%, it's no longer tithe in the true sense of the word tithe. If it is 9%, it's no longer tithe in the true sense of the word tithe. Right? So, tithe means 10%. The idea is that the children of Israel were obligated to give a 10%. They were commanded to give a 10%. So, here is the argument. Under the law, there was a command. Before the law, it was by inspiration. Now, now that you are no longer under the law, you are under the dispensation of grace, you are not under a commandment anymore to give your tithe. I didn't say that right. You are no longer under a commandment to pay your tithe because at that point, it was called paying. But you are now free to decide if you want to give a tithe or not. So, in the New Testament, what is the word that commonly is used to describe giving? And I found out through the scripture in the New Testament, it is the word generous. So, generosity or generous giving is the language of the New Testament. I'm going to say some things right now to bring comparisons in your mind because I don't want you to separate. Because if you see Malachi chapter, go back to verse 8. Go back so we're not hypocritical about some things. It says, will a man rob God? And then it says, in tithes and offerings. So some pastors talk about no more tithes, but why are they still collecting offerings? So if you're going to take everything, then take the offerings too. So here is the conversation. The conversation is that honor, somebody say honor. I can hear you loud. Honor is not a testamental thing. Honor travels through testament. So when the Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance, it is not talking about what covenant you are under or what covenant you are not under. Which means that in the Old Testament, you could not really honor you were doing it as an obligation. So at that point, it is not even called honor. It is a result of guilt and fear, basically. Like Dr. Prevlo Dollar said, which is very true. And that mindset has to be changed. That if I don't give my tithe, or if I don't pay my tithe, then something is going to go wrong in my life. Nothing will go wrong. Listen to me, you will make heaven. If you don't give your tithe, you will still make heaven. If you don't give God anything, you will still make heaven. And you are still blessed. You are. So, how do you now describe giving under the New Testament? Giving under the New Testament is a response. It now has to become a response. I told you before the, New, uh, the, before the Old Testament, Abraham gave from inspiration. Under the Old Testament, um, the law, the children of Israel gave from commandment. Now, you give out of your free will and based on what you have proposed in your heart. As the Lord wills for you to give. So, if you choose to will to give a tithe or a 10%, that's why we cannot say that tithing or giving your tithe is wrong. It is not wrong, but it's not mandatory. Are you following what I'm saying? It is not wrong, but it is not mandatory. So if you propose in your heart that I want to honor the Lord with a 10%, and this is out of the abundance that I have received, there is nothing wrong with it. Some people don't do 10%. Some do 50%. I don't do 10%. I do way more than 40% when I do my calculations. When I give, I don't do 10%. So even though we might call it 
tithe, there's a general name, semantics, it's just we call it tithe. But in the actual sense, when you look at what you really give to the Lord, most times is is, is, is beyond even the 10%. So, there are some people you cannot convince about giving because there is what you know giving has done and exemplified in your life. Like me now, I can never be preached out of giving. I, I cannot. Because when I, God has blessed us, amen. When I give, I literally get back. <laughs> I, I mean literally. I don't mean I get back. I mean literally get back what I gave. I can give for example, I can give a belt. I literally get a belt back. So I, I, I've come to see that truly the principle of this thing called giving and receiving, whether you are a believer or not, is just a principle of life that works. So people who have experienced it, it's only people who are looking for reasons not to give, who have a stingy nature that have not understood the gospel, that will look for every reason not to give. Uh -huh. See what the Bible says, that I'm not mandatory. Uh -huh. So I'm not supposed to give. I'll give you an example. The, law, the, the Bible says, the law says, honor, no, no, no. Love your neighbor as yourself. So does that now mean that because you are no longer under the law, I am free of my neighbor? Is that what it now means? Because you are no longer under the law. So, the law says you should love your neighbor as yourself or love one another. Does that now mean that you're not supposed to love people? No. The grace of God gives you a better premise to love. So, the law says that you love from a commandment. The law says that you forgive so that your heavenly father will forgive you. But the grace of God teaches that I don't have to love my neighbor from a commandment, but I love my neighbor because I have been loved. So I'm not looking for my neighbor's performance to love my neighbor, but I am looking at Jesus' performance towards me to love my neighbor. Are you getting what I'm saying? So all this conversation of, I, don't, I need to know you, how do you, how do you love me when you don't know me? Please, I'm not talking about romantic love. Because the love of God is not romantic. Please. I'm talking about agape. I'm talking about... Listen to me. I might get into trouble if I say this, but I'll still say it anyway. Agape is stronger than romantic love. Quote me anywhere. I will bring the Bible and I will show you. You see that intense thing you feel for someone when you see the person? In those days, when you saw, okay, let me say saw. When you saw the person, that thing you felt, that, that I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. See, that thing you feel can never be compared to agape. You know why? Because you felt it, but that one I'm talking about, agape, you need revelation to know it first. You need the Holy Spirit to tell you what the meaning of that love is before you even say you are scratching the surface of that love. It says hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. says we have peace with God. We're justified. Therefore, we have peace with God. Then the verse 2 says hope does not disappoint. It says it's the Spirit of God that even shares with that. So all those things you feel. You say, oh, I love it. Say, so how do you know you love me when you don't know me? We're talking about deep love here. We're talking about God kind of love here. We're talking about love the kind of love that kills your enemy, sorry, that saves your enemy by killing your son. How do you understand that kind of love? Jephthah made a vow to God and he said, when I come back from the spoils of war or with the spoils of war, when I get back home, the first person, I, the first thing, you didn't even say person, the first thing I see, I'm going to Take it as a bond offering to God. And then Jephthah is running. Thanking God for victory he gave, God gave him in, in the battle. And then he gets there. The first person he sees is his daughter running out. But he has to obey God. He's caught in between. How, I, have to, I have to honor the one who I need to honor. And I have to lose my only child. That story Jephthah 
was included in the scripture to give you a picture of God, Jesus, and you. God is saying, I love you so much, but I hate what is in you so much. So therefore, for God so loved the world that he gave. That is the gospel. Listen to me. For God gave and then he loved the world. I'm waiting for someone to correct me. For God gave and then he loved the world. So what's the correct thing? For God loved me and then he gave. So loving would always precede giving. If you now say you are a New Testament person and you have not known the love of God, you can never understand giving. You can't. So the Lord tells you, especially when it comes to tithing, that you do 10%. Do you know 10% is restricting? 10% is restricting. Actually, the New Testament puts in you the will and the ability to even do more than 10%. So, let's go through the scripture. Okay, we don't have much time. Mm, Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Acts chapter 11 and verse 25. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul. Next verse. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Somebody say Antioch. This is where brethren were first called Christians. So it was that for a whole year, for how long? For how long? For a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great number of them. So the gospel was taught for a period of one year. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I gave this teaching away, I think it was on Saturday, while I was discussing with the leaders and the workers. And I talked about giving, you know. And I just felt I should do that again this Sunday. So let's, let's see the next verse. Verse 27, it says, And in these days... We saw in verse 26 that there was teaching for a whole year. Now verse 27. And in these days, prophet, a prophet came. Go back to verse 27. A prophet came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Okay, move to the next verse. And one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the whole world. Or throughout the world. Which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then disciples, each according to his ability, determined to sell relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Next verse. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Is, is there a 31? Okay, that's fine. Now, look at this. From verse 26, I established that there was teaching for a whole year. There was teaching of the gospel for a whole year. Then a prophet now came after the gospel had been established in a people who were taught for one year. A prophecy came that there's going to be famine in the whole world. I have a question to ask you, like I asked, you know, um, all our leaders and workers while we're in the workers meeting. I said, if tomorrow the government tells you there's going to be scarcity, um, no market tomorrow, Wuse market is closed, Garakim market is closed, ShopRite is closed. Um, all the malls. Every mall you can think about is closed tomorrow. And this closure will be closure for five months. What do you think is going to happen now? What are you going to do? What is your natural response towards farming? You have to store. You have to start. Your mind already begins to think saving and storing and keeping. Now listen. A prophet actually came, Agabus, who was respected and said there will be famine. The first response of these people who were taught the gospel was not to save, but it was to give. See, when the gospel sits into your spirit, um, you, you become more Christ conscious and more Christ dependent and more God dependent in everything that you do. What is 
I'll probably wrap up with that. When you talk about giving sparingly and giving bountifully, what does giving sparingly mean? It means that you don't believe God can take care of you. It's as simple as that. So anybody who is not freely a giver is someone who has faith in money, but not faith in God. Faith in God is saying, I believe that you can take care of me, not the money that I have. The, the Bible says that he who steals, let him steal no more, that he may work and have to give. Scripture. Now, he says you're working, but it's not saying that what you have worked for is what you have to keep to yourself, but is what you have to give. That means the money that I have, I make it so that I'm able to give. Of course, I'm able to benefit myself too, but I'm also thinking about other people. Now, if you're not thinking like that, it means that you don't believe because money is about trust. The whole house is very quiet. It's fine because it's about money. Money is about trust. When you see Tiko, Akagom, people who are called Akagom, you know them? They don't release. It's not a function of their bank statement. Whether they have, they don't have, they just don't release. It's a mentality of I am gathering, that's the picture of some politicians. Because pol poverty mentality is not necessarily wealth. Let, let me explain that. Poverty mentality is not necessarily that you don't have money. Poverty mentality can be when you are a billionaire, but you can still have a poverty mentality because all you're thinking of is to gather. And you're not thinking giving. That's poverty mentality. Are you still here? So, when you don't trust God and you feel that the money I have is what takes care of me, that's when it is evident that you see people who are stingy. That's when you know that that person doesn't have faith in Christ. So, these guys were taught for a whole year. They had, the gospel had penetrated their spirits. And the first thing they thought about was to give. When there was famine, they didn't think about themselves. They thought to give. So, generosity is a language for the New Testament. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I'll show you this very quickly. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42. Says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread, and in prayer. Next verse. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Next verse. Now all who believed were gathered together, or were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided it among all, as anyone had need. Are you seeing what this is? First of all, there is a trajectory of the continuing the apostles' doctrines. They were learning the gospel, learning the word of God. That prompted them to have that kind of mind. For God is the one who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Are you still here with me? So it says, they sold their possessions, their goods, divided them among all, and anyone who had need. Next verse. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Somebody say house to house. In those days, churches were not in Nikon luxury. Churches were not in Sheraton Hotel. They weren't in the Hilton. They were in people's homes. That speaks of another conversation, which is hospitality. Let's leave that one. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That is, the whole church is coming to assemble in someone's house today and the host, the person who owns the house, is preparing out of his own, probably. And he's making food available for the whole church. Next verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Next verse. Um, that's fine. I think, let's see 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1 to 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 
and from verse 1. Do you have the NLT version? Use the NLT version if you have it. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 to 9. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Next verse. They were being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Somebody say very poor. This is the Macedonian church. But they are also filled with abundant joy. Please hear this. Money does not determine the state of your joy. And you, you have to watch yourself and train yourself in righteousness that you learn to rejoice when you have and when you don't. Because people are naturally happy when there is money. And you are naturally sad when there is no money. So you have to train yourself that my trust is in God. My faith is in him, not in how much I have. You are not the car you drive, please. And you are not the keke you are entering right now, please. You are not the clothes you wear, not the designers you wear. Are you still here? So who are you? Who Christ is, is who you are. But they also filled with abundant joy. This church was very poor. But they also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now, this points to the fact that generosity in the New Testament, New Testament kind of giving, generosity is not about the amount. Because if a poor church is to give you aid, how much are they giving you? So therefore, when someone says generous, it cannot be the, num the amount you gave that is called generous. It has to be something else about how you gave that makes what you give or how you give generous or not. So it says, overflowed and breed generosity. Next verse, verse 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. So this is giving in the New Testament. It is free will. Don't let anybody come and pressure you that if you don't give your tithe, if you don't sow, you're going to be cursed or you will not be blessed. No. It is out of your own free will. There is no pressure to give in the New Testament. Help me say amen. amen. There is no pressure to give in the New Testament. You give out of your own free will what you have decided to give. That's the giving in the New Testament. So if, you're only, if you have decided you, you want to do 10, you want to do 20%, you want to do 30%, you want to do 5%, you want to do, Archbishop Benson Dawson used to do 90%. My father does over 50%. I do over 40%, around 40, 45%. I, the Lord will grow me, amen. I want to press to 90%, amen. 95%, amen. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there are some people who gave 100%. There are some people who said, look at all the things that God has done for me. I don't even, all this, take everything. Just sign the check, empty their bank accounts. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. The woman who was giving Jesus um, her life saving, her one year savings, it was uh, the alabaster box that she broke in, in the front of Jesus. What do you think happened? How many percent do you think she gave? That was 100% she gave. You couldn't quantify that. Because what she gave wasn't even her monthly salary. She gave her yearly salary. Yearly. And Jesus did not stop her. No, he didn't stop her because she was honoring him. That's why I told you honor in the New Testament or in the Old Testament is valid. Except you're just looking for a reason not to give. So, how do you give in the New Testament? You first of all acknowledge what Christ has done for you. It is from the outflow of your thanks, your, your appreciation of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. That's from the place that you give. Are you still here? Next verse. Verse, verse 4. It says, they begged us again and again for the privilege, <laughs> this church is a poor church, for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They were begging Paul to be a part of the giving. Pastor, come, come and tell us. We don't have much, but we want to be a part of it. And I like the way the NLT put it, it puts it. It says privilege to give. Please listen. When you're giving to God, you're giving to people, you're giving to church, you are not just helping See it as a privilege. 
If God has blessed you, if God has equipped you, if you have more than your neighbor and you're able to put a smile on someone's face and if you give, don't give condescendingly. Give us a privilege. Say amen, someone. The Bible says that you can give, yeah? You can, you can give your, your body to be burned. You can give so much. But if you have not love, you are nothing without love. So how can someone give his body to be burned and he doesn't have love? It is possible because of the way people think. And only God knows the states of what people's hearts are. So they begged that privilege for sharing the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Next verse, verse 5, very quickly. They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So before they even gave money, they gave themselves. Before they even gave money, they gave themselves. Money has become so many people's idol today. Money. Money. Once you talk about money, and the Bible says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That means that's your God. It means that you don't trust God to be able to take care of you. So if you trust God that he's able to take care of you, you will learn to see God's faithfulness in your giving. Next verse, very quickly. Next verse, we're out of time already. So we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. I like the way he puts it there, ministry of giving. It means when you give, it's like a ministry, ministry of giving. So we, next verse, very quickly. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. This, I like the way it puts it, this gracious act. It's a gracious act. It's not a forceful act. Praise God. It's a gracious act of giving. And the Lord ministers to you what to give. Do you understand that? Now, there are times where the pastor can come and say, I want certain people to give so, so, and so amount. There's nothing wrong with that because I probably might be talking to my leaders. I probably might be talking to my members or workers and I might get a fixed amount saying, I want some of you to give this amount. There, Let's finish this, then I'll show you that. Is there anything in that? Is there verse 8? What's in verse 8? I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Next verse. You know the generous grace of God, blah, 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 and all of that. So he's advising and encouraging the Corinthian church to emulate the Macedonian church who gave out of their poverty, but they still gave. Who is a giver? A giver is not someone who has too much. A giver is someone who just gives. That's a giver. You don't have to have too much to give. What makes your giving generous and what makes your giving sparing? Sparing means it is without something. That's sparingly. But generous means it's abundant. So the Lord loves a cheerful giver and you give generously. Now, generous giving, like I said, is not in the amount because you can give an amount, but it is sparing compared to your heart and to how much you have left. Okay, I've lost all of you. The woman who gave two copper coins, the widow who gave two copper coins, Jesus said that this woman has given more than everybody who gave. Why did he say that a woman who gave 50 naira gave more abundantly than someone who gave 50,000? Because the woman who gave 50 naira, that was her living. But the person who gave 50,000, that is out of his surplus. Not necessarily out of his living. Now, when you give out of your living... It is generous giving because it is not out of your convenience, so to speak. The woman gave a whole, the whole, everything she depended on was on that 59. So, 
you can give out of your surplus does not necessarily mean you're a generous giver. A generous giver is someone who gives out of his living. And how do you get there? You get to that place where you see what Christ has done for you. It is called reasonable service. I'm going to close with this. Reasonable service. How much shall we, shall he not with him freely give us all things? So he has already given you all things. And then the Bible now says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Now you're presenting your body or you're presenting your offering, you're presenting your gift to the Lord is your reasonable service. Another word for reasonable service is church mind. It says you have received so much from Jesus or from God, therefore use your church mind. What is your church mind? I am willing to give as much as I feel I can, as I feel the Lord ministers in my heart because of how much he has done for me, that is New Testament giving. So there's no pressure with that giving. When someone is given 100%, that person is not under pressure because the person wills to do it already. Someone, you can ask someone to give 10%, but there is pressure there because the person is not willing. So it's a matter of willing and willing is a matter of revelation. And revelation is a matter of what the Holy Spirit teaches you because of what Christ has done. So the more you grow in the gospel, the more it increases your will, the more it increases your graciousness, and you begin to abound in graciousness, and it is easier for you to give. You move from a tico to a free giver. If you don't clap... Praise God. I'm hearing a lot of people, there's a congregation in my spirit saying, Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Preach, Pastor. It's inside here. I'm not feeling it today, but it's fine. If, if you guys are not giving me all the encouragement, shout, glory, preach, Pastor. We, oh, I received that word. Oh, hallelujah. I'm even hearing someone jump in my spirit. Yes, that's me. And it's not happening now. No problem. No problem. For God so loved the world that he gave. Listen, if you are a love being, you will give. And it will not even be about tithe, about 10%, about all that. Is, all that will pale in the face of what Christ has done for you. And then when you see your giving as a privilege, not as a commandment, but as a privilege, then you're given right. So please, for those of you who have not been followers of my teachings, you're just new in this house, you're probably one year old, and you're not yet established in the gospel. We don't teach tithe, we don't teach giving, we don't teach offering as a mandatory exercise or principle. No, we teach it as something you do freely. So when you really give from the place of grace, you would actually give more. In fact, you would even give more than the 10% under the law. That's the truth. That's the truth. I hope you were blessed today. <laughs> offering. Offering. <laughs> you're offering. That thing you say you're offering. For your offering to be bountiful, it comes with the emotion, with your mind, with the object of the one who you are giving. That's what makes it an offering. Offering is not the money. Even though the money is part of the offering. But let me say it another way. Your money is the victim of your offering. Your money is the, is the tool. It's what you are, your money is what you are using to fling as your offering. So when, when we say offering something to the Lord, you are talking about a deep sense of appreciation. A deep sense of honor to the one who has done everything for you. And therefore, whatever you give is what goes along. That's what God looks at and he says is bountiful. I don't care the amount. This is bountiful. This is bountiful. And it looks, some arrogant person just walks pompously to church. I'm going to give uh, 10 billion. 
No, let's start with one billion. Let's start with what our faith can do now, Abi. I'm going to give one billion naira. One billion naira. Uh, God might look at it and say, sparring. Sparring. It doesn't come with the design of the new covenant appreciation and honor for what I have done for this person. There's a sense of arrogance. And he probably may be giving that from his surplus, not even. But please make mistake and give us the one billion. Amen. Give me the one billion arrogantly. No problem. Just give, don't problem. Bring it arrogantly. We would teach you. <laughs> Until you get there. But God can look at someone who says, All I have is 50K right now. That's, that I'm, I'm going to give I'm going to give all of it and I will trust God for, for this there was a time my wife and I had 5 million we wanted to do something with it and after many deliberations you know we're just going to sow this to the Lord we gave it all all we didn't touch one thing and I looked at my house so many things to do I said as well we just do it that is how we were. At that point, it was 100%. It's not 10%. But do you know if I brought what's uh, 10% of 5 million? If I brought 500,000 to God, I would have, I could be looked from the outside as, Kai, this, he try, he try. Meanwhile, God had already ministered in my heart to do something. I refused to do it. And in my heart, I'm struggling with that. And I'm saying to myself, I'm not going to do it. And I'm in disobedience. Trust me, don't get me wrong. There are times where God has told me, give something, and I refused. <laughs> there are times where your pastor, God telling him, give, and he said no. Until he spoiled. It has happened to me before. It, so I, I didn't always get it right. I didn't always get given right. I did not, all, in fact, for the most part of my teenage years, I never gave in church. Dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> because he may be watching where I am. But now, I, amen, God is helping me. I do a whole lot more now. But for the most part of my teenage years, I hardly gave in church. Because I'm like, hmm, the one you see now, you better hold it to. <laughs> because everything is, everything is taken care of. There is, uh, you're not asking for food. They are giving you food. They are giving you clothes. Abby, driver will take you to school, bring you back. What do you need? So they don't give us money for just, I think it was a training. It was later he started to do that, give us money. This is your money, save or whatever. But early he wasn't, he didn't train us that way. So when I first had my default senses, now when I get money, the first thing I think about, who can I bless? Who can I bless? Who needs to feel my hand? I'm the pastor of the church, so I don't have the privilege to be you who is a member pastored under a pastor. But I can tell you how I was when I was with Bishop Wale. When I get money, the first thing I think about is church. I think about, I think about people in church. I think about my family members. Of course, I think about me. I do. I think about one shoe that I've been eyeing. But you see, I will not buy that shoe at the expense of all these things I know I need to do. I had to grow into that place. Talk to me something. So I wasn't always, I didn't get it right all the time. But I eventually grew to it. And then I became a good giver. So now, I'm the kind of person who, if you're around me, you cannot suffer. Just live with me. Those who live with me know. Amen. I can't say, say amen because you've not lived with me before. But there are those who have lived with me here. If you live with me, you know that something from time to time must lead me to you. It's a principle. Even my gate man. Even my gate man. Even my house help up till today. I must give. In church, I must give. Why? Because my faith is not in the money. My faith is in God who can take care of me. God can take care of you. God can take care of you. So go listen to my message on balances where I talked about giving and saving. 
So you're giving this teaching should not confuse the need for saving. Because I believe in the storehouse principle where you're able to store and be saved. Say amen, sir. I think I've overshot my time. But giving the New Testament is not a commandment. It is something you do from free will and revelation. Somebody say free will and revelation. Are you blessed this morning? Clap your hands, give God praise. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.